Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I am really happy to tell you that I have a great comment from Texas. And uh, it's it's a letter. And uh, I, I, I like it so much I'm going to read the whole thing. <laughs> so I think we have time for this. But uh, this uh, this person is from Texas. And she writes, Dear Mr. Leap and Mr. Turgeon. So she's being very formal for with us. She says, Thank you so much for JBL. I actually look forward to Monday mornings now. Your programs on Moby Dick have been wonderful. You really make the story come alive. I have thoroughly enjoyed how you make Melville's complex art not only more understandable, but fun. I heard a program a while ago where you both were joking about JBL t-shirts. <laughs> I just couldn't get this idea out of my head. So here you go. I only hope the sizes are close. Thanks again for JBL. Keep up the good work. And so uh, she did send uh, uh, Mr. Turgeon and I two JBL t-shirts. And so so we are very excited about that. And... Uh, uh, we thank you for that, but we have a surprise for all of you coming towards the end. And uh, I think for this person, since she sent a letter and we have her address, I think we'll send her one of our pictures. Maybe mm. we'll have to sign it. But uh, we did get Moby Dick t-shirts. So so anyway, we're looking forward to that. This has been quite a, a lucrative guest appearance series for me, <laughs> getting two t-shirts out of it. Two, two free t-shirts, that's right. <laughs> Well, on our last podcast, Grant Turton and I finished Chapter 42, which gave us deep insight into Ishmael's thoughts of Moby Dick's whiteness. I think it's it's one of the most interesting chapters. And uh, also, uh, I think all of you out there should really read it and, and read the whole chapter, by the way, and spend some time with it. Because by the chapter's end, it reveals that Melville, it, it was not only talking about the color white, uh, you know, he's... He's talking about his own understandings of the the purpose and the immensity of the universe and the whiteness of the Milky Way. And then you can tell he's bothered by the universe. He doesn't understand it. And then he said, yeah, you look at the whiteness of the Milky Way and then you get shot in the back. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so uh, again, I look forward to talking to Melville one of these days. Now, for today's podcast, Grant and I want to discuss two short chapters, 43 and 44, and then uh, I don't think there will be time, but then we'll try and move on to chapters 46 and 48. So uh, welcome back, Grant. Thank you very much. So uh, let's go to chapter 43, and it's, it's, uh, it's really a short chapter, and it's called Hark. Now, now one of the things uh, for all of you listeners out there, it's not on the reading list, but after reading it again and then seeing where we're headed in the next couple programs, I uh, realize it's really important. And so, so uh, 
essentially what's going on here for all of you out there listening is this chapter is the answer to chapter 21 going aboard and if if uh for even this lady in Texas, she's listened to every show, so I bet she knows exactly what 21's all about. <laughs> but but anyway, chapter 21 was, uh, it was titled Going Aboard. And uh, uh, if if you remember, this, that's one of my other favorite chapters because of the prophet Elijah <laughs> and, uh, and how he freaked them out. But then also Melville begins to, to uh, in, in this chapter 21, he begins to talk about these shadowy figures that are running to the Pequod on the day that Ishmael and Quequake were supposed to board the whaler, and they encountered Elijah. So, so uh, um, if, if you want to know where that is, it's, it's all, all the way back in chapter 21. In my book, it's pages 107 and 108. And uh, I, I think, I, if you don't mind, Grant, I might go back there just, just briefly. Um, and uh, just kind of maybe we can have a little bit of a, a fun session on Elijah again. <laughs> and uh, uh, I'm going to go back there now. I see if I can find this fast enough. Well, in the past 20 plus chapters, we've been thinking that those shadowy figures were just spirits. Right. Or an optical illusion. Right. And, and now we're starting to get the hint that maybe those shadowy figures were actually real human beings and they've been hiding below deck the entire time. Right, right. That's exactly what's going on. It's it's funny, at the, at the bottom of page 107, um, they're talking about uh, Elijah. And uh, uh, I, I think what he says, um, uh, let's see, I saw this this morning. Elijah said, uh, you, will you will oblige my friend and me by withdrawing. Uh, oh, this is Ishmael saying that. Elijah you will oblige my friend and me without drawing, withdrawing. We are going to the Indian and Pacific Oceans and would prefer not to be detained. And he says, you be, be you, coming back for breakfast? <laughs> and, and notice, uh, Ishmael says to Queequeg, he's cracked, Queequeg, said I, come on. Hola, cried stationary Elijah, hailing us when we had removed a few paces. He said, never mind him, said I, Queequeg, come on. But he stole up to us again, suddenly clapping his hand on my shoulder and said, Did you see anything looking like men going towards a ship a while ago? <laughs> and he says, struck by this plain matter-of-fact question, I answered saying, Yes, I thought I did see four or five men, but it was too dim to be sure. Very dim, very dim, said Elijah. Morning to ye. <laughs> and so, so uh, uh, anyway, um, you know, this chapter is going to now uh, kind of take us back to, uh, uh, I guess, how Melville begins to reveal that these shadowy characters are really not demons, yes. <laughs> that they're actually real people. All right. So uh, if, if we just, this is uh, page two, 213, and I think this is, this is so hilarious. Now, uh, just, just to set this up, um, the, the, there's two two sailors are working on the on the uh, the midnight shift. It's it's that uh, they call it the middle watch uh, for in the shipping industry. But this is from midnight to four a.m. And essentially, what they're doing is they're filling up the the scuttlebutt. And it's it's a funny term, but I had to look it up online. Anyway, the scuttlebutt is it's a big barrel of fresh water. So every night, these people that have to do the middle watch have to fill this up so that they have water for the next day for the men. And so the water is stored below. 
because they're not using salt water. You know, they're using fresh water that they have to bring. And again, that just shows how how uh, crazy this whaling industry was. When you went out for three years, you had to take enough water for, well, a long time. But I'm sure they would stop at different ports and get more water. But that's crazy. You know, I mean, you can't, you can't, you could be in a whole body of ocean and you can't drink it. So if you're in out of water, <laughs> you're in big trouble. So anyway, th there's a whole group of these men and what they do is they take the water from below and then they keep passing it down the line. And so there's this poor guy, Archie, who, who uh, uh, you know, in, in the middle of all this, he begins to hear something below. And this is, at the, this is at an aft hold where there should be no people. You know, there's an opening, there's a door to this hold, but there's no people should be in there. And he hears this someone coughing. And uh, he, he, uh, if we just read the page there, it says, Hist, did you hear that noise, Kabako? Take the bucket, will you, Archie? What noise do you mean? There it is again, under the hatches. Don't you hear it? A cough. Sounded like a cough. And, of course, I can't say what he says, but he says, pass along that return bucket. <laughs> there again, there it is. It sounds like two or three sleepers turning over now. Uh, caramba, have done shipmate all ye. It's the three soaked biscuits you eat for supper over inside of you, nothing else. So he's saying, this is your stomach. <laughs> <laughs> you ate those biscuits, and now your stomach's answering you back. He says, look to the bucket. He said, say what you will, shipmate. I have sharp ears. I, you are the chap, ain't you, that heard the hum of the old Quakery's knitting needles 50 miles at sea from Nantucket. You're the chap. <laughs> so so uh, th that's about the end of that chapter. Right. <laughs> and and all, all that's going on is Archie does hear something. And, and, of course, those of us that have read the book know this is a hidden crew. They're there for a purpose, and they have... Ahab has put them there. Well, then, at first I did wonder why it was so peculiar that he heard a sound below the deck because that's where most of the crew is right now in the middle of the night. They're sleeping. But like yeah. you said, there is a part where no one should be, and he was hearing sounds coming from that right, part. Right. So and, that does make more sense. Yeah, and that everybody up there also on the middle watch is being really quiet. So that wasn't didn't come from someone else because they don't want to be waking up their friends that are below. And and the where the water is, it's way it's further down the ship from where they these guys are in the hold. Mm. And so so uh, anyway, so so Melville is beginning to reveal that there is someone on on board. There's stowaways. <laughs> and, and so so uh, Elijah, he was trying to scare everybody. Well, this is a pretty dark voyage. I mean, uh, Ahab waits until they're way away from land to reveal his true goal for the voyage. And then he has some friends hiding out on the ship this whole time and no one has seen them, but there's just rumors going around that there's an unknown crew on board. Yeah. There are just a lot of disturbing parts about this. Yeah, it is. It, it, and the, the thing is we're going to, we're going to see more of this in just a few minutes, but, but this crew is like a Ahab's Navy seals. They're like expert, expert, whale killers <laughs> why hide them though i still can't figure that out they don't belong on the ship because they weren't they, they weren't hired by bill dag or you know his his associate you see they're 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 not 
they're not part of the plan to get whale oil. And so that's why he hid them. But if they're so incredibly skilled, why would it be a problem for them to be on the ship? Why why would anyone object to them being there? Yeah, I don't I just know. don't understand how that works, but yeah. I guess that's part of the story. I think that's that, that would be my take on it. Now I'm not you know, I'm not the, like the expert expert on this, so but uh you know, I do I I, I do think that uh, uh certainly he, he felt like he had to hide them. Mm-hmm. And I'm again <laughs> it's just a story, I guess. <laughs> but but you know, it's the book isn't perfect. There's some there's some holes in it. You know, when Melville was writing, he didn't necessarily follow every every line that he has. And I'm gonna show you that. Well, that is this me. hidden crew doing it for free then? That's what I wonder. If they didn't officially get hired and they snuck on board and they're the most skilled out of anybody, are yeah. they not officially getting paid or is Ahab going to short some of the rest of the crew to pay his buddies? I, I, I would think that's true. I, I think that he's gonna make sure that they're well paid. <laughs> they're not gonna do this. And, and I think that's gonna come up as we go through the program today all right so uh let's see uh we we discussed the conversation so uh we're beginning to learn who the mysterious men are in the hold but we don't know who they are yet not not exactly so let's go on now to chapter 44 and uh this is called the chart and the the, to me this chapter reveals to us i think a, a lot of great detail about the character and mindset of ahab and uh uh, it, it, again, it's another one of those unusual chapters, but I, I think it's really worth reading and paying attention to. And uh, you know, the the first you know sentence there says, "Had you followed Captain Ahab down into his cabin after the squall that took place on the night succeeding that wild ratification of his purpose with his crew, you would have seen him go to a locker in the transom and bring out a large wrinkled roll of yellowish sea ch- charts." spread them before him on his screwed-down table. Then, sitting himself before it, you would have seen him intently study the various lines and shadings which there met his eye, and with slow but steady pencil trace additional courses over spaces that before were blank. And so, so again, we're going back to that whole scene where Ahab gets control of all the minds of the men on, on board. Even Ishmael, if you remember Ishmael, confessed he was affected by it even starbuck even starbuck knows even starbuck who disagreed couldn't help himself eventually right so so what does he do he goes down and and it's like he starts really dedicating himself to studying these charts of the ocean because he's not going to let any stone unturned to get moby dick in other words, I think it really shows, uh, you know, his great intelligence. He's a detailed planner. He's not gonna, he's not gonna let this happen by chance, right? And he's marking down the precise latitude and longitude of where he's come across any sperm whale, and then also where he's encountered Moby Dick, and he's starting to learn that there are some predictable ways that the sperm whales move around in the oceans. And, and how they circumnavigate the globe. And, and he's just plotting it all out. And while he does this, in his detailed study of the maps, he's just overflowing with rage. It's like, it's like there are demons roaring up out of him. And then he has to come out of his cabin for a break. 
And that's where he's like a husk of himself. That's not the real him that everyone else sees. Right. The, the real him is the one in the cabin who, who j- just is out of control with his with his emotions and his wrath. Right, right. It's, it, it is. I mean, to me, it's, it's a really pretty, pretty uh, vivid um, scene of him. You know, and you can see he's it's like he's possessed, you know, and it's like it's, it's like he's got the crazy eyes and all that. It, it it almost reminds me of some of the movies I saw, like you know Frankenstein when Doctor Frankenstein is mi- building the monster, and, <laughs> you know things like that. But but one thing I think, um, in terms of we've talked about Ahab really being having a lot of leadership, I think this is one quality that all good leaders should have: is you don't you don't leave things up to chance. You plan it exactly. You study. You you prepare. And, uh, you know, it, it's like, well, you and I, we go on the radio, we have to prepare. You just can't go up and say, okay, I'm going to start talking through my hat. You know, uh, it, it goes very poorly <laughs> if that's how we try to do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. But, but the, the thing is, and, and again, your, your grandfather and I have talked about this a lot. Ahab was a driven leader. He was driven to do it right. I think Abraham Lincoln was the same way. Abraham Lincoln would have studied. I think George Washington you know, studied. And, you know, your, your really great leaders around the world did that. And of course, of course, the, the, the thing is with Ahab, the, you know, the sad part of it is he had all this ability, but it went to the dark side. Right. You know, and I think that's what, what, uh, um, you know, Melville's trying to get across. You know, it, it, it looks like to me, and again, I, I want to know what you say, but it looks like to me, that he was so smart, he was contributing to building these charts for other people. And and I think it's interesting on the bottom of page 216, there's this, there's this sub-note by Melville, and, uh, uh, you know, he, he's saying that since, since the time he wrote this chapter, he said, since the above was written, the statement is happily borne out by an official circular issued by Lieutenant Murray of the National Observatory, Washington, April 6th, 1851. By that circular, it appears that precisely such a chart is in course of completion. So so what he was writing here, what Ahab was supposedly doing, is actually happening. And so, again, that's the genius part of this book, is he, he incorporates this fact of history to prove this is kind of a really really cool book <laughs> and it does show how much herman melville went into his studies and, and became an expert in every area of what he wrote about every part of the whale's body every part of the whale migrations every part of the the rituals on board a ship he he studied into it in great detail and today the world is a lot more chaotic and distracting than it was back then and sometimes it's good to just put away the screens and the distractions and just embrace the silence where you can actually think deeply and, and take in the still small voice, which is what it's called in the Bible. You can actually talk to God better whenever it's quiet. And, and, and someone like Melville probably did embrace the silence and he thought deeply and you could just see in this type of unparalleled writing, the fruits of that. Yeah. Yeah, if you read some background on him, read some of his, his biographies, they're really, really pretty interesting. But he did, you know, he did live in New England. He lived in a mountainous area where he was 
kind of isolated. And he had the beautiful scenes to look at and, you know, things like that. But, uh, um, you know, I, I, I do think um, that what Melville is saying here is that if you, if you want to be a leader, you're going to have to be on top of the game. And that even though Ahab was really super intelligent, he was also a madman. <laughs> and and you can. I think if you study too much, you can go mad. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> you know. So so there is a there is a balance there. But uh, I, I do think it's really interesting, Grant, on the 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 that the other thing he talks about, this is in the middle of page two sixteen. And he's talking about these veins in the ocean and that, that the the whales follow these veins. And of course then but then they it says there also that they do settle for a while. You know, they stay in maybe warm water or somewhere. But they don't just and and but Ahab was able to chart when they were resting. Hmm. You know, and so so if as we go through this chapter a little bit, I don't know if we're gonna have all that time. It's like even from the time they left it, it's called uh, the thing where they rest is called season on the line you know they just kind of rest he knew all about that before they left nantucket and so he was planning this whole trip based on knowing where he was in the season on the line yes. and so he was just a well it was pretty devious but it's pretty smart <laughs> right he, he discovered these these veins of sperm whale migrations so basically whales aren't they called pods if they're in a group they're so, pods. so pods of whales are traveling these similar veins and at certain times of the year at least one pod of whales is going to be in a particular spot and even if it's not the same pod every time you you know in a particular place at a particular time you're going to find sperm whales and, and ahab knew this and he he plotted it all out on his maps which is pretty incredible yeah one thing else on this this page two sixteen for our listeners out there is the, the this it's the very almost like the third paragraph it says besides when making a passage from one feeding ground to another the sperm whales guided by some infallible instinct say rather secret intelligence from the deity mostly swim in veins and so so there he is talking about God that gives these whales this intelligence and and we know we, we know there's a difference between humans and animals you know that animal animals you know they they do have god has their brains programmed to do certain things and here it seems like melville knew that or believed that well he he mentioned earlier in the book we i think we talked about it last week how a horse will panic at the scent <laughs> of a bear even if it's been a horse in the stable its whole life and has never experienced any threats like a bear. Right. It'll know about the scent of a bear from thousands of miles away and still understand that that is a serious threat. Yeah. And, 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 you know, birds, they don't get taught how to build a nest and but yet they, they still do it. And it's the same nest. And where does that come from? Yeah. It's instinct and it's been programmed. It's exactly. like, it's like their, their brains are programmed and God is a great programmer, but human beings we're not programmed. No, we're We've, so we're so much less capable when we're first born. Yeah, we I have mean, to be taught everything. My my son is a year and a half, and he can't do hardly anything yet except for walk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but a an animal learns how to walk within a couple of days, not yeah. not over a year's time. Yeah, and, that's and it right. can it can 
feed itself. It, it knows where to go. It knows the threats. Yeah. It, it knows the safe areas. It just knows so much more than we do. It takes us a lot longer to develop because right. we don't have all that instinct right away. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it, it is, there's a, there's a difference between man and animals. There's some people that still believe in evolution and we're all evolving and just doesn't, just, it doesn't work, you know? So, so the, the, the thing is, I think if you go through this chapter, everybody listening out there, uh, keep going through the pages and read it and study it is it was Ahab's goal to find where Moby was loitering. That was his goal. And, uh, you know, it, it, uh, he, he was uh, at the bottom of page 217. It says that particular set time and place where conjoined the one technical phrase, the season on the line. So he, that's what he was hunting for. What season of the line would he be? Where would he be? And so he knew this and he was tracking this and planning this. It says he did this every night, went and looked at those charts. So he was, he was every day, he was planning what his next move was going to be to find Moby, the Moby Dick. And so, um, you know, I, th I think it's, it's just really uh, kind of funny. Or not funny, I think it's really kind of good. But then you get into pages 218 and 219, and what does uh, Ishmael start talking about? <laughs> Ahab's madness. I mean, this whole this it's it's uh, uh, you know uh, it says there on page two eighteen. He says now the Pequod had swelled from Nantucket at the very beginning of the season on the line. So Ahab knew this. He knew it was the beginning, but he knew he wasn't going to catch him yet because it was he was in other words wherever Moby Dick was, he was at the season, and by the time they got there, he'd be gone. Mm. And so he knew that. But then uh, I, I think at the top of page 219, it's just fascinating. He says, uh, so, so, I mean, that, that just shows all of his intelligence. But then at the top of page 219 says, and here his mad mind would run on in breathless race till a weariness and faintness pondering came over him. And in the open air of the deck, he would seek to recover his strength. He, he goes, ah, oh God, what trances of torments does this man endure who is consumed with one unachieved revengeful desire he sleeps with clenched hands and wakes with his own bloody nails in his palms and so so you were talking about that just when we started but that's he's a he's a maniac <laughs> he's he's really possessed with trying to get moby dick it's like he goes and took, pours over the charts you know and then he then he has to get out of his room you know and then he comes back in and he just can't sleep at night because he can't get this out of his mind yeah it's just severe mental anguish that he's going through yeah. and he just can't shake it there's nothing else that he can think about he can't distract himself with any other goals he has to kill moby dick that yeah. consumes every thought every waking or sleeping second of the day for him yeah yeah at the bottom of that page it's really interesting what he says here he says but as the mind does not exist unless leagued with the soul. Therefore, it must have been that, in Ahab's case, yielding up all his thoughts and fancies to his one supreme purpose, that purpose by its own sheer invertency of will forced itself against gods and devils into a kind of self-assumed independent being of its own. Nay, could grimly live and burn, while the common vitality to which it is conjoined fled horror-stricken from the unbidden and unfeathered birth. Therefore, the torment spirit that glared out of bodily out of bodily eyes, when what seemed Ahab rushed from from his room, 
was for the time but a vacated thing, a formula, a formless, somnambulistic being, a ray of living light, to be sure, but without an object to color. And so he's talking about the whiteness of the light <laughs> in Ahab's brain. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So we just had that whole chapter on <laughs> the color white, the whiteness of the whale. And yet it's saying there, it, basically he's talking about a soul. We know that there is no immortal soul, but we do have the human spirit. And he just wasn't using the human spirit right. And like you mentioned, there probably was demonic activity in his mind or at least influencing his mind. And so you have whiteness equated to the evil spirit right. realm here. Uh, so there is a, a deeper terror there when it's, when it's whiteness and demons. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, t to me, um, I, I, I think there's so much to unpack in this book. I was just talking to a former student and, and, uh, she was telling me that her sister is listening to this program. And, uh, she was saying that we, when we missed the one, because I was at the crom. <laughs> you know, she was really disappointed. She says, what happened to Mr. Leap? He didn't have a new program up today. <laughs> and uh, we were, she saw me getting ready for today's program, and we were talking about the whiteness and how it's right here about Ahab's mind, too. She went, oh, I've got to go back and read that again, you know. So, <laughs> so I've got everybody interested in it. That's all. great. Well, that's all the time we have for today's program. Now, on our next program, Grant and I will be begin begin discussing chapters 46 through 48. Now, although we are soon coming to the end of discussing Moby Dick, you can still buy Moby Dick at Amazon.com. I'm telling you, if you haven't read this book, you need to read it. And uh, you may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. You may be also able to find a copy in your local bookstore. And of course, you can also check your local library. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.